Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Hello and welcome back. Here we are yet again. This is episode 16, the week 9 recap. And as always, Dolphins win, Dolphins chant leads the show. Three weeks in a row to start the season. Another three-week win streak right now. Next week we got the Browns, then we got the bye week, and then we got the Texans. Looking like 8-3 and three is coming up very shortly, my friends. But anyways, I do have some announcements, really just one, that I do plan by the end of this week to launch the official podcast, Miami Sports Bar, and have my first episode recorded and posted, hopefully by Thursday night. So if you've been loyal to me so far, and I appreciate you, trust me, it's only going to get better from here. We're going to talk a little dolphins, talk a little heat. Tell some bartending stories, get some interviews, get some predictions, get some little different segments. Have more fun with it, you know? Hopefully it's content that you guys can find enjoyable. I know I'm going to love doing it just as as I have loved doing this. So, I mean, it's very exciting for me. I had sent a mental goal that by episode 20, I wanted to start the official podcast. And it's episode 16, and it looks like I'm going to get it before episode 17, so... That's exciting. As exciting as that is, this show must go on. So let's continue and get into this Dolphins and Bears game, dude. Like, my guys, I understand. Same thing that people felt about the Lions win last week. We're a little bit worried, you know, their defense is looking bad. But remember last week I did point out the Lions had 27 in the first half, zero in the second half. Dolphins win. Tua looks great. Hill Waddle look great. We win. This week, we didn't shut them down in the second half. But the point is, is that when we needed the stop, we got the stop. In the fourth quarter, they did have our offense on lock. In a sense, they just kept blitzing. The last possession that we had, you kind of you can kind of get the sense of what Mike McDaniel was trying to do. He ran the ball two straight times, forced the Bears to use their timeouts. And then on that third down, I mean, Tua, and that wasn't like a, he short-armed it, but not in the sense of like that he didn't have the strength for it because it wasn't even like a, a deep bomb. Like it was maybe like a 20-yard throw. He just probably short-armed it by literally like, talking about like six, eight inches. Six, eight inches further down the field, Waddle catches that, and he runs in for a touchdown. But it is what it is. We punt, we hold, we win the game. A lot of people out there, especially Bears fans, talking about how there was a missed P.I. at the end of the game um, against us, basically. It was their third and 10 or whatever it was, third and 12. Called it incomplete. I mean, the ball was underthrown. It was into double coverage, and both of the DBs are looking at the ball and attacking the ball. They're not attacking the player. They're not playing blind. They're not looking the wrong way. So to me, that is a good no call. And if you were watching the game or paid attention to the game, 
you can even just watch the highlights of where Justin Fields takes off for 30, 40, 20-yard runs, whatever it is. I mean, he had a record-setting day, obviously, but they missed a lot of holding calls. Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb are getting held all day. I maybe saw once or twice that they called it. So, I mean, if you're depending on a flag to win a game, you're already in a bad position. Some people are saying that the special teams punt block uh, that turned into a touchdown. Jalen Phillips with the block. Andrew Van Ginkle scoops it up, scores. Beautiful. They're trying to say that that's the reason we won the game. What they don't understand is that everything we did is the reason we won the game. Our offense kept going down the field. They looked fluid, as they have looked all year when Tua plays and he's healthy. The defense held when they needed to. And then we got a special teams play that we've been waiting for all year. All year we've been waiting for a special teams to step up. And they did just that. But I just love how people love to hate on the Dolphins. They still want to hate on Tua because the same people who were saying that Tua's six passing touchdowns for them in the fourth quarter against the Ravens were inflated, that the Ravens' defense was bad, that this and that and this and that, whatever excuses they were throwing out there to say that, to diminish Tua's performance, are the same people who are now saying, Justin Fields has arrived, he's elite. He ran for 178 yards, he's amazing. First of all, you lost. You had three passing touchdowns, good for you. Our defense played like shit. We made Cole Komet look like the second coming of Rob Gronkowski. Uh, Daryl Mooney low-key just had a beautiful catch over Xavier Howard. I mean, that was, that was a good throw, but he is an NFL quarterback. Even the backups can make good throws. Like I'm, This is that perspective. Like These are professional athletes at the end of the day. We're ranking them compared to other professional athletes. So when I say that Justin Fields is overhyped, it's not that he can't play quarterback. His mechanics in the pocket look bad. But sometimes, if he gets to set his feet, he's going to make those good throws. His best throws come off the run. He has to be moving. He can't be stationary. If you keep him in the pocket all game, which is hard to do, obviously, because he's such a tremendous athlete, then what? You know? But I give him his flowers. He definitely had a good game. Definitely made us sweat a little bit. But at the end of the day, we won, and we're 6-3. and three. That's all that matters. And when we're in the playoffs and the Bears are at home, sitting on the couch, thinking about who they're going to draft, we'll be in a playoff game. So no one's going to be saying, oh, well, remember that Bears game? All it's going to say is W, and we'll move on. Just to go through the stats of the game real quick, even though Justin Fields did have that tremendous game, we still outgained them in yards totally. We had 379. They had 368. Only 11 yards, but nonetheless. The, you know, that goes to the, oh, well, if you didn't get the block punt, they had more than enough yards. They could have scored as much as we did, but they didn't. <laughs> um, 302 yards, obviously, passing all from Tua. They had 116 passing yards. And then, obviously, the difference maker was their 252 rushing yards with 178 coming from fields alone. And then we only had 77 rushing yards. And that's not to say that we couldn't run the ball. We didn't, we did not game plan to run. They were clearly, I mean, how we, how we've been all year when two has been healthy in the six games that we won it's quick passes, eating up the middle of the field, play action. And then we'll get like a 10 yard run here and there catching them off guard. I mean, this offense looks super fluid. They look very 
well gelled together. They look like they all have been playing together for years at this point. Like, and these guys love Tua. Tua loves them. The coach believes in him. Watch him grow. Tua was not sacked once in this game. Just throwing that out there. As much as people wish that we had traded for an offensive lineman at the trade deadline, we're fine. The offensive line played well. We're still missing, uh, not Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt. Who's, no, we're missing Austin Jackson. Robert Hunt's been playing. We're still missing Austin Jackson, who was a starting lineman for us last year. And everybody's stepped up and been able to block for Tua, at least ever since the concussion bullshit. Tua was 21 for 30, nine incompletions. He had 302 yards, three touchdowns. Tyreek Hill, seven catches, 143, and a touchdown. He's at 1,100 yards on the season already in nine games. Three touchdowns, disgusting. And then Jalen Waddell added another touchdown to his total. He has six now for the season. He had five catches for 85. And then Jeff Wilson, newcomer, he added a touchdown. He looked like he's going to fit right into this offense. And for anybody who's worried about Bradley Chubb, Bradley Chubb has been there for five days. And he was making a presence. He was beating his guys. It was just Justin Fields. Like, if we were playing a stationary quarterback, guy would have been getting lit up. But, you know, obviously we got to play the cards that were dealt, and we played Justin Fields. He escaped, and that's it. And that's on our linebackers. At the end of the day, when a quarterback is mobile like him and he's getting past the line of scrimmage and he's breaking out for big runs, that's on the lineman. The lineman ain't catching him. That's the linebackers. Or in the defensive play calling. Low-key, our DC is looking a little little sus right now because there's been a lot of talk about maybe getting rid of him. I mean, the way we're winning games, they're not going to fire him probably mid-season, but I wouldn't count on him being our defensive coordinator in 2023. Justin Fields was 17 for 28. He had 123 yards, three touchdowns, and like I said, he had 178 yards and a touchdown, but off of 15 rushes. I mean, the guy was just breaking out big run after big run. But hey, we won. We're 6-3. and three. We're going to beat the Browns. Seven and three. Go to the bye. Come back. Texans. Eight and three. Can't wait. Two more things I want to touch on about the Dolphins real quick. One is the offensive line thing that I mentioned. He was pressured a lot, right? That waddle throw, he was blitzed on, so he was throwing off his back foot. And he was just able to get the ball out a lot quicker. But that is to note that, yeah, the offensive line has been better. They're still not amazing. I'm not going to say that. But they are better than people give them credit for. But one thing that Tua has shown is that he has been, I mean, he's always shown this, obviously, since his days at Alabama. He's very coachable. Because what he does now is he gets rid of the ball. And he's been safer. He might scramble a little bit. He actually said in an interview a couple weeks ago that he had never been coached or trained on how to slide. And I know, like, for the casuals, you would think, like, oh, well, that should just be natural. You go outside right now, athletic or not, go outside right now, find some grass, sprint or run, whatever you want to do. Not jog, because these guys aren't jogging. So at the very least, running, full speed, and then just slide. And tell me how that goes. Go look up Joe Flacco trying to slide, and he almost tore his ACL because he didn't know how to slide. These are things that they do need to be coached on. They, need to be they do need to be trained on. There's been quarterbacks in the past that have been very vocal about it that they straight up are talking to MLB players or coaches or whatever 
He'll give them the technique on how to slide safely. Because if you look at Justin Fields, Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson, they're at the point where they've been coached and so well-trained on sliding that they can slide down and pop up within a second. They slide, their hip hits the ground, and they just throw themselves back up. Like, yes, that takes some type of athleticism to be able to do that, but that's not something that they just saw online or someone said, hey, make sure you slide, and they just figured it out. Like, they had to work on that. So good job, Tua. Still a good job, offensive line. And the other thing I wanted to point out is the Soldier Field is that Soldier Field every year is one of the most dangerous fields to play on. There has been a time where, and I have to look this up, maybe I'll talk about it on the Miami Sports Bar one day, where there was a team that was supposed to play a preseason game in Chicago, and the coach straight up said, we're not playing there because it is too unsafe and he's not risking his players' health because of how badly kept the field is. And I'm talking about like the turf, like the grass. I'm not completely sure if it's turf or grass. I'm pretty sure it's turf. But regardless, and you could see if you were watching the game, Tua slipped on a throw to Waddle, where if Tua didn't slip, it was probably a first down. And there was at least two other times that you've seen. One other time that Tua slipped again and fell down, and then another with like a wide receiver going down. Like, it's just not safe. Like, and it's not like, you know, and like I say, casuals. And I, it's not to be discriminatory because no people can enjoy football without being diehard dedicated fans like i'm just a nerd for this like some some people really love the kardashians some people really love video games and then there's people who really really love sports and i'm one of those guys at least for football and basketball it's not to casuals you see someone slipping on the field and you go haha what a bum how could you slip like that these guys are playing at the top of their game every down with maximum effort most of them when you're playing with that type of dedication, you're driving. When you throw a ball, you're driving your feet into the ground. you got to flex your hips, flip them, turn the ball over. It's a lot of motion going on in there. And if you can't stand where you are, like some, some guy looked at me during the game when I was I was working, obviously, and they said, uh, oh, he needs better cleats. I'm like, are you fucking stupid? <laughs> you need better cleats? Like this is a thing in thing year in and year out for Soldier Field. Super unsafe. Causes injuries all the time. I mean, I guess it's truly home field advantage for the Bears, but you're also risking your own players, so I don't understand if it's really an advantage for them. Well, enough about my beloved Dolphins. Time to move on to the fantasy headlines of the week. My first headline, which I didn't even have written down, but I just thought about a second ago, is that the Jets beat the Bills. As a Dolphin fan who is currently tied with the Jets, and since the Jets beat us with Skylar Thompson starting, oh, sorry, with Teddy Bridgewater starting for like two plays or one play, and then Skylar Thompson playing the rest of the game and then hurting his hand at some point in that game, um, I wanted the Jets to lose. And I was ready for the Bills to whoop up on him. My boy Ronnie, hopefully you're listening. Maybe you're not. I don't care. My brother, that's one of my best friends in the world. He's a diehard Jets fan, him and his dad. When the Dolphins lost to the Jets a couple weeks ago, I was getting text messages from both of them, throwing it in my face. And I was humble. Like, I, like, defended it a little bit. 
But and you know, I, I get it because last year the Dolphin, like I'm I'm very, you know, protective of my team. I don't believe in Zach Wilson, but I do love Robert Sala. I do think they have a good defense. I do think Sauce Gardner's um stats are a little inflated, but it's not to say that he's not capable of doing what he's already doing. You know what I'm saying? Like he has played some pretty good to better than good wide receivers, but it's been just like in different moments. Like it's like obviously like, you know, he played well against the Packers, but Packers best receiver is like Sammy Watkins or the shell of Sammy Watkins and Alan Lazard, who is a wide receiver two, maybe wide receiver three on any other team. And, you know, I had to point out to Ronnie that I was like, oh, well, because he was saying, yeah, well, he played Hill and Waddle. Um, yeah, uh, Hill, and I didn't even mention this to him, I forgot, but Hill have, was playing through a quad injury that game. Waddle was playing with a groin injury, and our third-string quarterback, who was a seventh-round rookie quarterback, played 99% of that game. So it's a little inflated. And then one game against the Browns, just like how their offensive stats are inflated because of Joe Flacco playing, but whatever, nonetheless... I wanted the Bills to beat them. The Bills lost. But I also do love the Bills losing. Because the Bills are now 6-2. and 6-2. and two. There are two losses coming to the Dolphins and to the Jets. And that's kind of like a... It's kind of beautiful, you know? It's something that you wouldn't expect, right? Maybe the Chiefs. I really don't remember who else they'd be in, but... I mean, this NFL's year has been really weird. Like, it's like the Vikings 7-1. Like, the Eagles are, the you know, they're not undeserving of their undefeated record. But if you go look at who they have played, they haven't really played anybody of note other than the Vikings in Week 2. But they, I mean, it was just, you know, Kirk Cousins in primetime. He can't play. They beat the Lions by 3 in Week 1. Not that good, considering that the Patriots shut them out. Uh... What else? They beat the Commanders by three. You know, like, they're just not. And then the rest of their season is so fucking cake. They beat the Cowboys with Cooper Rush. So, I mean, I'm not talking about the Eagles right now. But the Bills losing, it's pretty interesting. I mean, congratulations to the East Rutherford New Jersey Jets for beating the Bills, the only team in New York. Next, piggy piggybacking off of that. Josh Allen did have an elbow injury in that game that he suffered during that game. When you actually see the video, it kind of looks a little worse than it might be. He's still undergoing more tests. He's probable for this weekend, and they're kind of scared right now. Um, I'm not the type. During a game, I'm the type to scream, break his legs, kill him, murder him, you know, because I just get so worked up. But at the end of the day, I'd rather be the best version of a team than to get an easy win, if that makes sense. I mean, I always take an easy win. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, we're 6-3. and three, And, I mean, we've had some, like, the last two wins, the Lions and the Bears, were closer than they should have been. But at the end of the day, and it wasn't an easy win in a sense, but it was against teams that are supposed to be below us. But, I mean, the Lions just beat the Packers, so. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I hope Josh Allen is healthy. I hope he's fine. I do like Josh Allen, even though he's in my division. I've liked him since he was drafted. I felt like he was overlooked. 
Same way I felt about Tua. I mean, and Tua and Josh Allen kind of share the same trajectory. Josh Allen had, you know, his first two seasons not looking so good. He was he was looking okay, but just like Tua was, like when Tua was healthy and he played and he got a shot, like he can actually perform. And then it was his third season where he broke out and all of a sudden everybody was, you know, chanting his name, screaming that he might be the best quarterback in the league. And now you have Tua. Here he is in his third season. He has 15 touchdowns, three interceptions, just shy of 2,000 passing yards, number one in QBR, number one in quarterback rating. I mean, he's going off. He's 6-0 and in the games that he starts and finishes. Technically, it's 6-1 and in the game that he starts because he did start against the Bengals, but it is what it is. But I just hope he's healthy and can continue to play and I mean, the Bills are obviously my biggest worry in our division, but it's fun to have competition because then when you win, it makes you feel that much better that you know you had to get through the Bills, a healthy Bills team. Josh Allen missed the rest of the season, some craziness. I mean, I would only expect for the Dolphins to win the division, but I wouldn't be as proud. Just like, I mean, right now, being the Patriots is nice, but I can't show off as much as I would want to because they're not what they were just a few years ago. Next headline, Frank Reich. He was fired. He was there are three five and one the Colts. The coach of the Colts. They're three five and one. He has a winning record on the Colts as their coach. He's had a quarterback carousel since he's been there. He was forced in the in the media will have you believe that he benched Matt Ryan. And made Matt Ryan, not only did he bench him, because what was said was, and what it, the fact is right now, is that Matt Ryan is the third string quarterback. Basically, he is an inactive since he's been benched. They have Nick Foles as QB2. They're starting Sam Ellinger. Media will have you believe that that was his decision. That is not his decision. That was forced down upon him, and Sam Ellinger was forced to start. Maybe he could have put Nick Foles as a starter, but Matt Ryan being benched was not his choice. Maybe he put Sam Ellinger in there just to have some young blood and see if it's a spark. You know how that goes. But it didn't matter. They fired him. They're tanking. They don't care. Jonathan Taylor's been hurt. He might get shut down at some point just to let him get healthy. Michael Pittman's stock has plummeted. Deion Jackson was trashed this week. And then they hired Jeff Saturday. For those of you who don't know, Jeff Saturday was a center who played with the Colts for a majority of Peyton Manning's career. He's probably one of the best centers of all time. Asked me to list a, a top 10 center list, and I wouldn't be able to do that. Maybe someday in the future. But I do know that he was one of the greatest. And he's been, obviously, working on ESPN. He's lost a lot of weight. He looks really great and low-key. If you look at the pictures of him playing a center, like that boy was big-bellied, as he should be. And then now he's coaching the Colts. The only coaching experience he has is coaching high school football, private schools. His 2020 record, the last season that he coached a high school team, they were 5-11. and 11. And I'm not even going to get into the whole how many black coaches out there are deserving of a job, blah, blah. In the building, they had John Fox, who is a very well-respected man in the sport. 
his last coach head coaching stint was with the Broncos. He got fired, but I mean, all coaches get fired at some point, just how it is. But he's been around the league a very long time. He's very knowledgeable. He should have been able to step in as interim right away. I don't know of any other time that I've ever heard a team fire a coach midseason and make an outside hire for interim head coach. Because to me, that's telling me you want him to be your future head coach. But as I've been learning, Jim Irsay is kind of crazy. That is their owner. And um, yeah, we'll see how that goes for them. Odell Beckham Jr. might go to the Cowboys. He might go back to the Rams. Probably not anymore. I know the Packers want him. But I like the line today. Mike McCarthy basically just, you know, sucked up to him. Was like, oh, well, I've always been a big fan of Odell. Blah, blah. Yeah, shut up. Michael Gallup's been banged up. Noah Brown is a fraud. Dak Prescott needs all the help he can get. We get it. P.J. Walker still will be the starter for the Panthers this Thursday. Even though he got benched last week and had Baker come in. But I just I just feel like P.J. Walker gives him more of a spark and a chance, you know? He's creating. He has nothing to lose, you know? Baker comes in there with pressure. Baker comes in there wanting to prove himself. P.J. Walker... If if he plays lights out, he has everything to gain. And if he plays average or below, what does he have to lose? He came from the XFL. Like, what does he care? And then, last thing I'll talk about, Packers are in trouble. Aaron Jones, ankle sprain, might be okay, might not be. We'll see how it goes. Aaron Rodgers throws three interceptions, only one touchdown against the Lions. I mean, two of the interceptions were tipped and whatever, but I'm just very confused as to what's happening with the Packers right now. Pretty sure they're on a five-game losing streak. It's like the first time in Aaron Rodgers' career. I mean, this guy is really wishing he was just hosting Jeopardy right now, but they've already filled the spot, so I don't even think he could go get it. I mean, I, and, and you would think like, oh, well, the GM didn't try to trade for a wide receiver. At the trade deadline, he did. He offered a first-round pick for D.J. Moore. For D.J. Moore. Talking about Devontae Adams got sent away for like one or two first-round picks. That's Devontae Adams. Talking about D.J. Moore. And the Panthers said no. Which I get it. I do think I do think D.J. Moore is a very talented wide receiver. So has been stuck with a lot of crappy quarterbacks. But, dude, the Packers can't catch a break. And maybe Odell and... Uh, who knows how Odell will look like once he gets signed and gets, you know, put onto the field if he'll be worth anything. But if Odell's going to come back, I don't know. It's not like I know him personally. But my guess would be is that he's going to want to play for a contender. And with the way the Packers are looking and they just lost a linebacker for the rest of the season, I don't think he would want to go to the Packers. And then how much would you pay him? You know, it's just... Kind of sad because I have a lot of respect for Aaron Rodgers. And I kind of want them to be good because if we beat the Packers on Christmas Day, you know, it's not as much of a flex. It goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like, uh, who wants to beat the Bills if Josh Allen isn't playing? I mean, of course, everyone wants to win every game. But you know what I'm saying? Like, how can you flex? You can't flex. It's like fighting. It's like me fighting a fifth grader and being like, hey, you saw how I whooped his ass. You know what I mean? Kind of embarrassed. Well, anyways, that wraps up my fantasy headlines. Time to move on to the stunners and bummers of this week. 
number one fantasy quarterback today, obviously the stunner of the week, was Justin Fields in a losing effort. But nonetheless, as I already mentioned, he had the 178 yards, rushing touchdown, three passing touchdowns, had a great game, but still came out with the L, so who really cares? He had 48.72 fantasy points. That boy went off, depending on what formats you're playing on and whatever. After that, I got Patty Mahomes. He had 39.14 fantasy points. He threw the ball 68 times against the Titans. It took him almost to the end of overtime to finally secure this victory over the Titans. Malik Willis had five completions. He had negative two yards in the second half. This was in Kansas City. I'm time. Just saying. A little embarrassing. A lot of people are giving him his flowers, saying that he played so well. And it's not that he didn't play well, but it's a lot of credit to give to somebody who beat a backup rookie quarterback by three in overtime who had five completions in the whole game. Not a single wide receiver caught the ball. Kind of embarrassing. But nonetheless, of those 68 pass attempts, he had 43 completions, 446 yards, a touchdown, and then 63 rushing yards for another touchdown. The 63 rushing yards is a little surprising because as athletic as he may be, he does not tend to run the ball a lot. But he did. He did on Sunday night. And that helped him secure that big, big fantasy day. And the victory, if anything. And then our boy Tua, of course, Another great fantasy outing for him. 27.08 fantasy points. 21 for 30. 302 yards, 3 touchdowns, as we've already mentioned. Our wide receiver stunners this week. Just so you guys know, and you're going to notice as I go through, I have condensed this list. I'm tired. Of, I mean, I don't mind going on a hour-long rampage, hour-and-a-half-long rampage, just talking into the microphone. But it's very boring to just hear Names, numbers, names, numbers, over and over and over again. I've learned that. That's why I started the Duffy's Fantasy Football Podcast, to teach me some things. For our wide receivers, number one wide receiver in fantasy this week was Devontae Adams. They were up 17-0, the Raiders. <clears throat> By the way, shout out Kyle. Our general manager, Kyle, worked a probably like 17-hour shift on Saturday. Something like that. And... um like, we had the CEO in the building. We had the regional there all day. Very rough day. Very busy night. I had a lot of sales outside. Um, and then he drove up to Jacksonville. And it's a 1 o'clock game. So whether he napped a little and did whatever, like, it's not, you know, it's like a, what, 7, 8-hour drive maybe, depending. Drove up to Jacksonville to watch the Raiders play Jacksonville in Jacksonville. And he is a Raiders fan, as I've mentioned in prior episodes. And they started out hot. I remember right away, Devontae Adams scored. Kyle's texting me, saying like, oh, man, Devontae to the moon, whatever he said. He's like, oh, he's so great. And then um, they were up 17-0. And they ended up losing 27-20. to So they got outscored 27-3 to after going up 17-0 to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who just lost to the Broncos last week. Pretty rough. But Devontae Adams did have a good fantasy day, so there's that. He had 34.6 fantasy points. He had 10 catches off of 17 targets. Ridiculous. 
146 yards, two touchdowns. Tyreek Hill, our boy, we already know what he did. We already know what he's capable of week in and week out. He had 26.3. Cooper Cup playing with bum-ass Matthew Stafford and the Rams. Sean McVay is out. That boy sucks. He's getting exposed. Um, 25.8 fantasy points, eight catches, 127 yards, and a touchdown. What you kind of expect from Cooper Cup at this point. Justin Jefferson, another name that we're used to hearing up here. 24.5. He caught seven of his 13 for 115 yards and a touchdown. And then Christian Kirk, welcome back to the top five. It's been a while. You've been in the bummers for a little bit, but here you are. Caught eight of his nine targets for 76 yards and a touchdown. Nothing too spectacular, but fantasy-wise, more than enough to help you win. For our running backs, Joe freaking Mixon. Joe Mixon, literally, I have him in two leagues. Oh, sorry, podcast started playing. That was playing on my phone by accident. Joe Mixon, untouchable in this week. Wait, who did who did they play again? God damn, I already forgot. He went off. He had fifty-seven point one points, depending on formats. I seen I saw some leagues. I was seeing a post on like Instagram. I guess you know how some leagues will have bonuses for how many touchdowns or how many yards, or if you have a big play, they reward you more. So, like one league, someone had him, he had like 70 thanks to the bonuses. I mean, just literally unreal. But for me, 57.1 was enough. Well, that was in my other league, and uh, the Duffy's league, it actually only ended up being what was it, 55.1. But um, not really complaining. He had 22 rushes for 153 yards. Disgusting. Four rushing touchdowns. And then he had four catches for 58 yards and a receiving touchdown. You tell me. Crazy. And it was against Carolina, right? I mean, obviously, like, you know, Carolina. This was really a blowout. The fact that Carolina ended up with 21, just kind of like garbage time points. I mean, literally from the what was it, the first half, they had already basically routed them. And it was just, you know, a cakewalk from there. And then Joe Mixon just kept going off. Next, we have Kenneth Walker, who had 30 less points than Joe Mixon. He was a number two running back this week in fantasy. How crazy is that? But Kenneth Walker continuing to impress, making his argument for Offensive Rookie of the Year. 26 rushes, 109 yards, two tar- uh Two targets, Jesus. Two rushing touchdowns. And then added three catches for 20 yards. Nothing too crazy. But that is another five points if you really think about it. I mean, Kenneth Kenneth Walker, I mean, the Seahawks have been the most surprising team. I don't care about any team. You can throw any name out there. The Seahawks were supposed to be bad. That's not my opinion. That is what the whole world thought. Nobody... Okay, maybe except for some like super optimistic diehard Seahawks fans would have expected this. How they're performing. Another win. On like a four game win streak right now. It's it's that Geno Smith is playing better than Russell Wilson. Like, it's unreal. I'm waiting for the, the fall off. I, I don't care what anyone says. Geno Smith is not what we're seeing. I don't know what's happening. I'll give all the credit in the world to Pete Carroll because he has these guys playing from start to finish. They're winning. You know, I'm not trying to take credit away. It's football. It's not an easy game. 
But what we're seeing, like, if they go to the playoffs, dude, they're getting smoked. Straight up. I'll put it like that. After Walker, Travis Etienne, he had 26.6. He had 28 rushes, 109 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Whatever. Obviously, James Robinson got out of there. And now Etienne is just balling out. And the thing is with me is that I know I didn't expect Etienne to ball out. I was kind of... No, I wasn't kind of. I was definitely 100% on the James Robinson train for this team. And, I mean, I guess you could say I was wrong. But it took trading James Robinson away to bring this out of ETN. And my theory is that Urban Meyer is the one who wanted ETN. Because when they drafted ETN, the whole conversation was, why would you waste such a high pick on a running back when you have the incumbent, James Robinson, who was maybe a seventh-round pick or something like that, who was taken over the RB1 role, and he was going off. If you know about James Robinson, you know that he was a stud running back. He might not have been you know, your top four, top three type of guy, but he's someone that you could rely on and that would make big plays. I mean, like his signature is 40-yard rushing touchdowns. Like he's done that too many times to be overlooked. And, I mean, that's why the Jets traded for him. Brees Hall went down. I, I don't know. I could only I wish I could hear the phone calls of how that conversation started. That the Jaguars were like, yeah, whatever. We'll just give you, you know, this guy who was a seventh-round pick who's probably a super cheap contract, superstar potential. Not that he is one, but potential. And they got, like, it was like a fifth-round pick. Crazy. I mean, I guess they got, you know, the value from what their bills a seventh round pick that turned into a fifth round pick in the future. But I mean, good for ETN, good for the Jaguars. They found their RB one. Derrick Henry, twenty three point five. I mean, he was basically the whole team. There was nothing that you could do with Malik Willis being the bum that he was. Derrick Henry went off a little bit. Nothing too crazy. He had the 17 rushes, 115 yards. Actually, it's almost two rushing touchdowns. Man, one rushing touchdown away from beating the Chiefs in prime time with Malik Willis. After Henry, I have Austin Eckler. Obviously, he continues to impress. He had those bad, like, what, two, three, four weeks? Not three. Three weeks at the beginning of the season. Now he's been going off. He had 24.1, 14 rushes, 47 yards, because he's and a rushing touchdown, but because he's actually a slot receiver in a running back role, he had nine targets, seven catches, 24 yards, and a receiving touchdown. Oh, and he, I didn't even see that. And he lost a fumble, so it could have been better. Cordell Patterson, just my honorable mention, he had 18.3. Not a bat, not a you know the greatest game in the world but obviously a good performance for coming back off injury and just being activated basically the day before 13 rush attempts 44 yards two rushing touchdowns in a falcons loss unfortunately for them but he immediately came back and made a difference and that's what you want to see from your fantasy players so there you go Corey. and you're on a little three-game win streak Corey. so you needed that and christian kirk came back a little bit look at you Corey. you're having a week tight ends Dallas Goddard, 23 points, caught eight of his nine targets, 100 yards, and a touchdown. Travis Kelsey, he had 20.6. He caught 10 of his 17 targets for 106 yards. 
17 targets. Tell me he's not wide receiver one. 17 targets, I'm trying to think. Was Mahomes, what, 68 attempts? Jesus. If you take away Kelsey's targets, he still would have thrown the ball 51 times to other people. Oh, my God. That's so crazy. To only have 20 points, I'm sorry. I just can't get over that. And then Cole Komet, because he played the Dolphins, who like to make people look better than they are. He had 20 fantasy points. Caught five of his six targets. Turned two of those five catches into touchdowns. Good for you, buddy. Now time to move on to the bummers of this week. Also, but I quarterback bummers this week. Of course, Justin Herbert, once again, disappointing fantasy owners. 13.1 fantasy points. He was 30 for 43. To think that he had 30 completions for only 245 yards and one touchdown and interception, not that good, buddy. I think this whole Tua Herbert argument is in the past. Okay? Oh, well, Mike Williams is hurt. Yeah. Oh my god, no Mike Williams, no Keenan Allen, he's hurt. Where was Tua's excuses? Where was his excuses last year when people chanted for Jacoby? Or in his rookie season where people wanted Ryan Fitzpatrick to keep playing because suddenly the journeyman who's been on almost every team in the NFL, an exaggeration, who's never been in the playoffs, they wanted him to start over Tua. I don't want to hear it. Herbert. Herbert is very talented. He is a good receiver. He's just not a winner. And yes, they won by three against a struggling team. And they barely won. There was a double fumble. Eckler coughed it up. Ball was recovered. And then the defender was just like, nah, I don't want this. Coughed it back up. Or maybe the owner had an earpiece and all the players and was like, you better let go of that ball, boy. Or are you getting cut? I don't know what was happening. I don't know why I made it like a a southern racist man, but, I mean, I feel like most of the owners are anyways. Anyways, after that, Jared Goff. <laughs> he had 12.38 fantasy points in his win against the Packers. 14 completions, 137 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Not bad. Matthew Stafford, 10.5, continues to disappoint all season. He's been so disappointing. The whole Rams team has been. He had... 12 completions of 26 attempts. 165 yards in touchdown. The only thing he's missing there is like three interceptions because that's what belongs on that. Like, how do you have 14 incompletions of 26 attempts and you just won the Super Bowl? Like, yeah, his elbow's injured. I don't even know what's happening anymore. Is it injured? Like, didn't they just come off a bye? Like, couldn't they have had it assessed? Why is not more news come out about it? Is it just an excuse? Andrew Whitworth made the offensive line that much better. Now that he's retired, they can't block. Cam Akers made up with Sean McVay. He's still trash. Daryl Henderson's been trash. I just don't know anymore. On for our wide receiver bummers. Starting off the list with Hopkins. Not a terrible performance, but based off what he did his first two games back, I will throw it in the bummers. 13.6. He caught four or five targets, 36 yards in a touchdown. It's really because the Cardinals suck and Cliff Kingsbury needs to be fired. Should never have been hired in the first place. T. Higgins, he had 13, 7 for 8, 60 yards. I mean, really, the Higgins and Boyd and Hurst that you'll see in my tight end bums in a second, those are really just products of Joe Mixon taking over the game. I mean, he literally had five touchdowns by himself. So, take it with a grain of salt. Chris Godwin. 10.7 fantasy points, 7 for 
10 at 36 yards. Just embarrassing. I mean, the the Buccaneers did come back and win that game against the Rams. I mean, it was really a matchup of two teams who are basically like mirrors of, of themselves, you know, because both of them are supposed to be so great. Both quarterbacks should be playing better than they are. Both have talent on offense and defense and have just been disappointing. So I guess the Buccaneers are the better mid-team between the two. Terry McLaurin, 10.6 fantasy points. A little bit disappointing for him coming off a better week just a week ago or two. Had five catches, 56 yards. Amon Ross St. Brown, only 9.5 in that game against the Packers. Tyler Boyd, as we talked about with the Higgins thing, 9.4. He had five catches, 44 yards. Like I said, Joe Mixon basically was the offense on Sunday. Mike Evans, another product of, you know, depending on Brady, caught five of 11 targets, 40 yards. Michael Pittman, who will probably now struggle for the rest of the season period. I feel so bad for him. This was supposed to be his breakout year. Only had 5.2, had six targets, caught three of them, 22 yards, and bare, like really bad. And then, of course, DJ Moore. I start him the week after I finally benched him when he went off on my bench. And then in my lineup, he has 4.4 points for, you know. I mean, it didn't matter because I won anyways. But it's just disappointing to see. At least P.J. Walker is still playing. And the thing is, I'm going to have to start him on Thursday. I have no choice. Moving on to the running backs, Josh Jacobs, who deserves to have, not deserves, but um, is allotted, you know. It's excusable. He's played so well this year. He winds up on this list this week. He had 11.7 fantasy points, 17 rushes for 67 yards. Not doing much there. I mean, the Raiders, the way they finished that game, just embarrassing. If they would have continued to, you know, blow him out, there was 17-0. Then you get into a game script where you have to run the ball, and Josh Jacobs can probably keep that clock rolling, but obviously that's not what happened towards the end. James Conner, even though it was his first game back in a few weeks, only 11.4, had seven rushes for 45 yards. Not bad, realistically, if you think about the opportunities he was given. And he had five catches for 19 just to help out. Lenny Fournette. Another product of that terrible Buccaneers-Rams game, 11 points straight up. Nine rushes for 19 yards, terrible. Only thing that bailed him out was the bailouts from Brady with five catches. DeAndre Swift, another person who just came back off injury, he wound up with eight points, wasn't really on the field that much. I know he did play last week, but he was very limited last week against the Dolphins. His stats were inflated by the easy touchdown he got in the first drive. This week he did not get an easy touchdown. Aaron Jones, who did get banged up, only had 6.5. Deion Jackson, who is almost basically the lone running back. I couldn't even tell you who. Oh, it was Philip Lindsay. That's right. But yeah, Deion Jackson, who was a starter since Naheem Hines was traded away. Jonathan Taylor was out. Only had 5.6. And you have Dante Foreman. I don't have him in this league. I have him in another league, and I had benched him last week. Another example of when they're on my bench, they go off. I put him in my lineup when I need him even though I won anyways, because I had mixed in that league as well. Only has 4.1. Seven rushes, 23 yards. And then Clyde Edwards-Alaire, just throwing him in there just for fun, because he had 2.9 points. <laughs> he had four rushes for five yards, man. I told you guys, that beginning of the year where he was popping off all the time, that wasn't going to last. And then finally, of course, tight ends. Aiden Hurst, 8.5 points. Robert Tunyon, 
5.9. Kyle Pitts, after going off last week, comes right back down, 4.7 points. He did have seven targets, only caught two of them. So he did have the opportunity. We weren't seeing that at the beginning of the season. It was a lot of low volume. You know, he was getting the the field time. Like he was he was getting the snaps, but he wasn't being targeted as much. Last three weeks, he's been getting more targets. Hopefully, that trend continues and he can take advantage of, advantage of his opportunities. We'll see how that goes. And then finally, Mike Kosicki, after coming off a couple good performances, winds up with a measly 1.3 fantasy points. And that's it for our Stunners and Bummers this week. Time to move on to our matchup recaps from Week 9. First matchup I'm going to recap is one that lived up to its name, the dog match of the week. It was Angel versus Virgil. Angel, after eight weeks of losses, has finally tasted victory. Round of applause for you, my friend. 101.96 to 84.5. Virgil with another disappointing loss. Angel goes up to 1-8 and eight now. As Virgil falls down to 3-6. and six. For Angel, it wasn't really an impressive victory for him or showing he probably would have lost. Actually, he would have lost to literally every other team in the league except for Carlos, who I beat. But Carlos had a disappointing performance himself. Jalen Waddle was his highest scorer with 19.5. Then Miles Sanders followed with 15.3. Derek Carr had 18.36. Nothing really noteworthy for the rest of his team. And then for Virgil, Austin Eckler had another great week, 24.1. But it wasn't enough since the second highest scorer was Rondale Moore with 14.9. The hell? What did I say, nar? <laughs> I sound like an Australian saying no. <laughs> I just realized now I can do that accent. Nar. <laughs> Brandon Cooks, who Virgil claims that he left by accident. I believe him. You know, he was working a double, whatever, didn't realize. Um, if you were following the NFL and you were realizing what was going on, since the trade deadline, it really did look like Brandon Cooks probably wasn't going to play anyways. He had stepped away for personal reasons already at least a day, I'm pretty sure it was two days prior to that Thursday night game. And it was announced early on Thursday, like not 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour before the game. Early on Thursday, that Brandon Cooks would not be playing in that Thursday night matchup, which was already expected around the league. And there was no one on his bench that he could have replaced him with to win this game anyways. So I'm going to leave it at that. And nobody that he would have picked up at least and actually started that would have won him the game either. And then he had Tyler Higby throw up a donut. So not going to win any games like that, buddy. I'm sorry. Next week, Corey takes on Virgil. Corey's on that three game winning streak. Virgil's looking to bounce back. Both of them are three and six right now at this point. And basically whoever loses this game is probably Almost just about done, at least in playoff contention. And then next week, Angel will look to build off of his first win against none other than myself. I don't want to look past any opponent. I have to have respect. Fantasy is a game of luck at the end of the day. I need to beat Angel next week. I expect to beat him, but I hope I do. But don't worry, Angel. I'm not taking you softly. I intend to do whatever it takes to win. 
next matchup I'll be breaking down is none other than my own. I played Carlos this week in a game that was almost must win for both of us. He could kind of afford this loss. And if I would have lost, I was all but out. After winning 158.4 to 89.1, I move up to 4 and 5. Carlos falls down to 4 and 5. But thanks to how much I had scored him by, I now have two more points in him on the season. Moves me up to 7th place as I also moved up over Joe in his loss from this week as well. For me, obviously, I've already talked about it. Joe Mixon, 55, well, I think in our league it was 57, whatever. Um, 55.1. I mean, literally all I needed. What he scored was 34 less than what Carlos had from his whole team. So Joe Mixon doing that was more than enough. Obviously, after that, K1, Kyler Murray, 0-2 since Call of Duty has come out. Just so you know, the whole Call of Duty thing is real. Since Call of Duty has been released, the Cardinals are 0-2, just saying. He had 19 points for me. Curtis Samuel had 17.1. Pretty much thanks to a 49-yard touchdown he caught late in the game. TJ Hawkinson, who might be a solid tight end for me the rest of the year now that he's on the Vikings, at 16 himself. Chris Olave last night had what? I think it was like 12, 13, whatever. More than enough. Very satisfied. Great team win for me. Carlos, his highest score was Geno Smith with 21.8. Never in my life have I ever said that statement that Geno Smith was the highest score fantasy wise for anybody. His second highest scorer was Ramondre. He had 16. T. Higgins only had 13. And then Robert Woods threw up a dud because Malik, Malik Willis is absolute garbage. I already said that I'm playing Angel next week in a game that I need to win. And then Carlos has a tough matchup next week playing Frank. Hard for him to bounce back, but Frank is coming off a loss. Next matchup that I... Oh, <clears throat> I just wanted to say this. So I was doing my notes today. I went to Ale House. I went to go see Samantha, hang out a little bit. I went there with Larry, and I'm doing notes, and I always do notes. I have so much paper, you guys don't even know, and I'm I'm proud of it. I love it. it. It's almost like a trophy to see how much work I've put in just to this little practice podcast, you know? And I've enjoyed it. I don't mind the notes. The notes become tedious when I'm doing the stunners and bummers because I'm literally just writing names and numbers, and all the words that I say are pretty much off the top of my own dome. But today I realized, I was like, man, I always do the matchups. I always write down, <coughs> excuse me, I'll literally do Angel versus Virgil. I'll write the record, I'll write score, and then I'll write down, you know, notable performances or bummer performances that they had on their team and in their lineup and talk about it. Sometimes I'll sit there and do the math real quick. You know, the times that I've said like, oh, well, these four players would have beaten this team alone and stuff like that. And then I kind of realized today when I was sitting there, because the last long notes that I wrote for the matchups was me versus Carlos. Now I'm about to move on to Corey and Joe. And that's when I realized I was like, all I need to do is really just write down who played who, what the score was, just so I can say it off the cuff real quick. 
write down their new records. And then I can just look at the app to see how much whoever scored. Like, that's easy. And I can do the math in my head. So long story short, I've been wasting so much time writing down notes for these matchup recaps. But anyways, I digress. I move on. As I said, the next matchup that I'm going to recap was Joe versus Corey. Corey took this one to get his third straight win. Corey won 132.46 to 113.54 for Joe. Corey moves up to three and six, and Joe falls to four and five. For Corey, he had Devontae Adams, who obviously was one of my wide receiver stunners of the day, with 36.6 fantasy points, his second highest scorer coming off Monday night in a uh, comeback performance, basically, for Corey, who was down going into this game. Kenyon Drake, probably the most points he's had since 2020, fantasy-wise, had 24.9 fantasy points, and he had Christian Kirk, who returned into a top-five fantasy receiver on the week. He had 21.6. Corey's looking a little bit stronger now. Cordell Patterson did come back today, or sorry, on Sunday. Had his 18.3. Corey decided to leave him on the bench, which I understand. It's a respectable decision, but he didn't need it either way. He did still leave Robert Tonyan in there, only had 5.9. Kamara, who was part of his comeback performance today, only had that 9.2. And, oh, Corey, I started Marcus Mariota in another league too, buddy, because I had a bye week. 7.56, but it didn't matter. Because Joe was not able to overcome those bad performances. For Joe, his highest score was ETN, who has continued to impress. I mean, that's his. Wait, when did James Robinson get traded? Two weeks ago? So it's the second week without Robinson. So two weeks in a row. He's had he's has had other good weeks this year, but two straight weeks of being a stellar fantasy performer without James Robinson there to steal the limelight. Twenty six point six. Justin Jefferson, twenty five point five. But after that, his next highest score is Aaron Rodgers with only sixteen point six four. After that, Leonard Fournette is his next highest score with only 11. He had one, two, three, four, five, six positions on his fantasy lineup score less than 10. That is not a winning recipe, my friends. As I already stated, Corey next week will be playing Virgil. That, that they, they might be both three and six, but that might be the matchup of the week. Because I feel like I've already said this once or twice before about other matchups. But this matchup, whoever loses this, is all but done. Next week, Joe will be playing Luigi. Haha, it's actually kind of interesting. Luigi has been on a nice hot streak. He's now 5-4. and four. Joe has fallen to 4-5. and five. Luigi could be the one to eliminate Joe as well. That'd be pretty interesting. But... In this game, I might be rooting for Joe. And hopefully I can overtake Luigi and reclaim my playoff spot. Next matchup I'm recapping was Jordan and Frank. Jordan took that victory 135.26 to 126.6. Jordan and Frank are now even in those standings. They're both 5-4. and four. Jordan definitely having somewhat of a up-and-down year. He's had like he's had a strong team. He started off the year with 
really strong performances, and he's kind of gone up and down, and I beat him last week. But this week, he took down one of the top teams in the league. Jordan's highest scorer, once again, almost like something that you can just expect, especially since I'm a Dolphin fan, so I know what it looks like. It's Tyreek Hill, 27.3. Cooper Cup, 26.8. Disgusting. His performance is all around. Good call on starting McCole Hardman. He had 19.9. Joe Burrow with 19. Because Joe Mixon went off, he probably would have had more because they were playing the lowly Panthers. And Alan Lazard, in that losing effort, somehow managed to have 18.7 fantasy points. After that, everything else was kind of low scoring for his positions, but it was good enough to get him the win. For Frank, Josh Allen, once again, led the way for him, 26.8 fantasy points. But his second highest score, Juju, with 18.8. After Juju, Lockett, and Nick Folk. And then Dalvin Cook only had 13.6. After that, nobody else scored more than 10. It's kind of like the same thing I just said about Angel when I was counting his players. Let's do it. One, two, three, four, five positions scored less than 10. Not going to win that way, especially when you're playing a strong team like Jordan's. Already mentioned, we know Luigi took the win was Luigi versus Calvin. Luigi once again trouncing his opponent. He took this one 169.02 to 81.42. That is more than double what Calvin scored this week. Who hasn't paid? And that's why you know Calvin. You started off hot. And now the fantasy gods are punishing you for continuing on this late payment. And I'm done hiding. I'm done not talking about it. Just pay, man. You're the only one who hasn't paid. Just pay. Or else the fantasy gods are going to continue to make you pay. Luigi, I mean, he's disrespectful in this way. Justin Fields, I know he said, I said he had more fantasy points. It was just based on a different format. I think he had 47 in this other one, but he had 42.72 fantasy points for Luigi yesterday. Disgusting. The only player that did better was Joe Mixon. He's on my team, so it's okay, huh? After Justin Fields, he had Kenneth Walker with 27.9, Derrick Henry, 23.5, New England defense, 26. I mean, that's enough. That's all she wrote. Justin Fields, Kenneth Walker, and Derrick Henry... Those three players beat Calvin this week. They beat Virgil this week. They beat Carlos this week. Embarrassing. Good for you, Luigi. Good for you, buddy. For Calvin, Lamar Jackson, I mean, it was already over by the time Lamar played on Monday. Only 17.52. Garrett Wilson had 17.9 and kind of a surprising performance. He did start Robbie Anderson because Calvin sucks at fantasy football and doesn't know what he's doing. Tyler Algier, which should have been benched, actually did wind up with 13.3. Pretty much everybody else is unmentionable. Romeo Dobbs did get hurt. Only wound up with 2.8. I don't think he was going to do anything to help you win that game. Next week, Luigi will be playing Joe, as I've already mentioned. 
and Calvin will be playing Kyle, who is coming off of his first loss of the year. I say that because that was our matchup of the week. It was Kyle versus Sean. And I feel like I have a curse. Every time I make a game a matchup of the week, they end up just being low scoring and boring. But Sean took his victory. 120.32 to 104.44. Sean now moves up to 6-3 and three, as Kyle, still in first place, falls to 8-1. and one. For Sean, Dallas Goddard led the way. He had 24 points even. Jalen Hurts was the second highest scorer with 20.02, whatever. Joshua Palmer, which was a great start, wound up with 18.6. A.J. Brown added 15.9. Josh Jacobs, who definitely has been scoring more, still did support by adding 11.7. And then you have Damian Pierce, who had 13.9. He did have Philip Lindsay in his lineup because he's hurting right now with no Jonathan Taylor with 0.2 points. And he had Naheem Hines in his flex with zero. But it didn't matter because it was more than enough to beat Kyle. Kyle was led by Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes did his thing, 35.14. I mean, what else could you ask from him? Travis Kelsey, another good performance, 20.6. His third highest scorer, however, was Terry McLaurin with 10.6. After that, Oh, I'm sorry. And then after that, Jamal Williams, 10.1. After Jamal Williams, Mike Evans, 9. Rex Burkhead, 2.5. Matt Collins, 3.7. Evan Ingram, 1.8. His kicker with only 6. His defense with only 5. Sorry, buddy. All good things must come to an end. And unfortunately for you, it came to the guy that I'm rooting for, that's not myself. Because if it, if it was me, of course I'd want to win. But if I'm rooting for anybody any week at any time, it's Sean. And it's not like a <clears throat> it's not like a a pity thing. It's not like a a friendship thing. It's just that I know Sean is taking it serious. You know what he, you know what Sean told me, guys? That because of my podcast, because I and I know I listed it as like sports or fantasy sports, I whatever I I have it listed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, whatever. The other podcast that it will recommend to you because of listening to mine is other football or fantasy football podcasts. And Sean literally told me one day, he's like, he's like yeah, well, you know, because he listened to my podcast on the way to work or on the way home from work, whatever. He has a long drive. And then he sees other podcasts suggested to him and he listens to them. He's gotten good advice. I mean, there's no shame in that. I still listen. I listen to fantasy football podcasts probably at least four four days a week. I don't make all my decisions based off of them, but sometimes you just get information that you didn't have. Sometimes they get information. Because you got to understand, these professional podcasts, these guys that do this for a living who have producers and directors and writers and analysts and all this stuff available to them, they get more information than we do. It's not easy finding this stuff. You got to search these things. You got to look them up. It's not something that you just, just Google search away. You can't just type in uh, 
fantasy sleepers. I mean, you can, of course, and you'll get a list of fantasy sleepers. And whatever list you get is based off of other people's research and whatever. It's not easy to get the research that they got and the stats that they have. And the conversations that they might have themselves or with other sources that are involved with certain teams who give them insider information. It's almost like a, what's that term? What is it? Insider trading? That illegal stuff that they do with the stock market, whatever. There's just things out there. So I respect that, Sean. And so far this year, it's showing its value. Because Sean has made himself one of the best teams in the league right now. And he is 6-3. and three, Just like my Dolphins. Dolphins up, baby. Well, that's going to wrap it up. For episode 16, the week 9 recap. We are on to week 10. Thursday Night Football. Snooze Fest. What is it? Panthers-Falcons. Unfortunately for me, I have Pitts in another league, and I'm going to have to start him. And I have DJ Moore in our league. I'm playing Angel, but hopefully PJ Walker. I mean, I assume PJ Walker will just have a better performance, and I'm pretty sure I'm starting Mariota in my other league too because Joe Barrow's on a bye. In my other league, just so you guys can kind of laugh at me in a way, but it's not that funny, I have Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd has just been like a, a, you know, a starter just because Jamar Chase went out. He hasn't really returned, you know, any value to me as of yet since Jamar Chase has been out, but I'm not really worried about it. And T. Higgins is T. Higgins. That guy's a beast. Joe Burrow has obviously come on after those first, like, three questionable games where they looked kind of abysmal offensive-wise. And then, obviously, then Joe Mixon was probably he was my first overall pick in that league, just like he was in this league. And they're all on buys. So I start Mariota. And I don't have a lot of space to make pickups and stuff like that because four guys that are on my bench are on bye weeks and I'm not dropping them <laughs> for a bye week, of course. But in that league, I'm also first place, so I'm kind of less worried about it. But a bye week, you know, the, what is it? What do they call it in the fantasy footballers? Uh, the bipocalypse. For me right now, this is a bipocalypse where four big players for me are not playing and I have to try to survive. The thing is for me that I'm lucky, like I said, I'm in first place. So if I lose, it's not like I'm damaging myself that much. I can, I'll, and then I'll be right back next week. I have Nick Chubb in that league. Nick Chubb is already back this week. No more bye for him. Uh, I have CeeDee Lamb in that league as well. He just comes off bye. So like a lot of, it's also like once I get past this week, win or loss, I'm kind of chilling for the rest of the year. But if I win this week and survive the bipocalypse, then I'm just untouchable. At least I'd like to get into the playoffs, just to say. But like I said, it's wrapped. It's done. It's over. Episode 16, officially in the books. Look ahead to my Instagram posts about the Miami Sports Bar, the Miami Sports Bar Network. I will have episode one, hopefully posted by Thursday night, as I said. I did order some audio drops online for segments, trying to make it a little more official, a little more clean. I'm really excited. 
I've put a lot of thought and work into it. I've learned a lot doing this. I'm not stopping this podcast. This podcast is definitely going down to one episode a week, though. I know I've only done one episode the last three weeks, but there's only going to be it's going to be the recap. I'll throw in whatever else I talk about the league anyways, just to finish it out. Can't guarantee that I'll do another fantasy football podcast for Duffy's next year. But I also have an idea for a fantasy football podcast under my Miami Sports Bar Network that I am very much looking forward to. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate your support. Please continue to listen. And I don't care how much you listen to this podcast, but the next podcast, once you start listening, you're not going to want to stop. I'll see you guys next time. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami.